That's all the French I learned when I was over there, all right? So that's it. That's all you get today. Uh, I am glad we did buy our daughter's berets, so there you go. They uh, look cute in them. I do not look so cute in one, so... No beret today. Uh, glad that y'all are here uh, with us this morning. Uh, excited to be going through uh, Genesis together. Good to be back. Excited about Easter next week as well. So uh, make sure you use this as a chance to invite people into our community and maybe even hopefully into our family as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so, uh, yeah, just use that opportunity. Uh, we'll have the Blacks helping us out with Blacks Barbecue. And so if, uh, if hearing awesome worship isn't the draw, then you can use that as the draw, okay? I was going to say an awesome sermon, but I'm not going to throw my expectations like that. I'll put it on the worship team instead, because I'm a good pastor like that, all right? Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, Genesis 15 is where we'll be for most of the day today. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, please take, keep that. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to use it during the week, and so uh, please take and keep that. Um, from us. You can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the Uversion app, uh, underneath the events section, type in the Well Austin. You can follow along that way. You can also take this link and put it right into your browser uh, and all the notes and uh, scripture and all that stuff will be there. So we say this every week because we mean it. We want your eyes on the word. We want you to see that we're not just making this up or trying to be cute. Uh, we really think that this is what God has desired for us to know and to understand. This is how he's communicated his love, his affection for us is through the scriptures. And so we want your eyes on the scriptures. So um, while you're turning, Genesis 15, uh, Jeff came in last week. We're super grateful for from the stone. Uh, we're grateful for him and our partnership with Acts 29. Uh, it's one of the two associations that we are a part of as the well. And so uh, just encouraged at that. So just a really quick recap, and I mean really quick, but it's going to kind of catapult us into today. I'm going to start back at the beginning of this current series on Abraham. So we've been going through Genesis. There are kind of different sections in the book, and you really see a lot of these turns as the narrative of redemption begins to unfold before our eyes. And so beginning in chapter 12, you have the story of Abraham, the man named Abram that we'll be reading about. Uh, in verses one through three, God calls him out and tells him that he wants him to be a blessing to the nations. He wants to give him a child and he wants to give him land. And so there's all these blessings, the promises of God. However, in the rest of chapter 12, we see Abraham really kind of bumble and fumble around those promises to some extent. He ends up leaving the land and going to Egypt, forsaking the land promise. He gives his wife Sarah away out of fear, forsaking the seed promise that he'll have a child. And then he brings curses upon Pharaoh rather than blessings. So he's being a, a curse to the nations rather than a blessing to the nations. However, in chapter 13, we see Abraham really repent and really kind of lay out to some extent the life of the believer, that the believer doesn't necessarily have everything together. What happens is, is when we fall and when we fail, we are called to repent, to turn away from our sins, to confess because we have a merciful God who is gracious and willing to forgive us. And so in chapter 13, Abraham really kind of turns back and begins to follow God again. God re-promises to Abraham. And then last week we looked at chapter 14 where there's this war going on and Abraham, in a very sacrificial manner, uh, really risked his life to save his nephew Lot, even though nephew kind of, or the nephew Lot selfishly chose to go toward the valley that he thought to be 
better, Abraham still was sacrificing his life to try to save him. And so uh, at the end of that, we get this really interesting, kind of awkward, really fascinating part of scripture where Melchizedek, the priest of the most high God comes up and Abraham offers him a tenth of everything. In order to not preach a sermon on that, I am not going to talk about that at all, okay? If you are interested in it, I would encourage you to go do some research because there's some fascinating things that are happening through that story. But uh, this kind of catapults us into our text today, which, spoiler alert, is one of my most favorite in all of Scripture, okay? So lean over and tell your neighbor it's going to be a long sermon today, all right? I'm totally kidding. It'll be the same length as normal, unless the Holy Spirit, aka my emotions, take over. All right, so here we go. Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. After these things, the war, Melchizedek, stuff like that, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward shall be very great. One of the things that is most clear throughout all of Scripture is that fear or a lack of trust in God often kind of catapults us into the deepest sorts of sin. So fear is what usually stirs up in our heart that makes us not trust God and who he is. We're afraid, and so what happens is, is when we're afraid, we take matters into our own hands, and as Jeff mentioned last week, we hold them too tightly, and we begin to try to orchestrate our lives rather than casting our lives before. God and trusting him. And what happens is, is when we take matters into our own hands, we don't handle it with as much care or with as much passion or sometimes with as much ferocity as God would handle the issue with. And so we end up kind of hurting our lives in some way. And so I love how God counteracts this right away. All throughout scripture, God tells the prophets and the priests, the slaves and the kings, the the peasants and the, the high men, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors, the elders, all throughout scripture, you see this phrase over and over and over again, fear not, fear not, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, God says over and over. And so we actually don't even see Abraham's fear here. It doesn't say like Abraham was afraid and then God said to him, fear not. It just immediately catapults us into God saying, Abraham, fear not, because God knows what's happening inside of Abraham's heart. Just like he knows what's happening inside of your heart today, your heart, your emotions, your fears, frustrations, whatever they may be, are not hidden from God's sight. God knows them very, very well. The interesting thing, though, is that God doesn't alleviate Abraham's fear here. Because he's a sovereign Lord, he could have just completely removed it from Abraham if he desired to. But instead, he goes to Abram and says, hey, fear not. Not alleviating the pain, but rather calls for Abram to have faith or to trust God in some way because God wants our faith. That's what this whole book of Abraham is really about, is God trying to call us into faith, into trust with him and who he is. And so we'll see God over and over and over again, really trying to expand Abraham's faith, really trying to draw him into a deeper, a more intimate relationship with himself. And so literally from verse 1, we can begin to set ourselves in the story to some extent, and we can ask a very applicable question to help us kind of track with Abraham is, hey, what situation are you in right now where it would be really easy for you not to trust God? Right? Like, 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 what is God calling you to that would make it really easy for you to try to take matters into your own hands or to shield them off for the Lord where God may be telling you, friend, fear not. Don't be afraid. Right? 
Maybe it's literally trusting Christ, putting your, your faith in him. Maybe there's fear or worry or concern, and he keeps calling you, trust me, trust me, trust me, but you're afraid. Maybe he's calling you into a situation or maybe calling you away from a situation or to sacrifice something that would be big but is for his glory. And he's telling you, hey, trust me, fear not. But how can we already begin to relate with Abraham? Because I think that all of us are in that journey of faith just like he is where God is telling us to, hey, fear not. Now, here's the thing. He's probably not going to alleviate the feeling in your heart. That feeling of frustration or fear or anxiousness or concern because to alleviate it would then completely alleviate you having to trust in him. But what he is going to tell you is you can trust in me. I'm a good God. I, I love you. I, I have your joy set out and your joy is my glory, God would tell you. And so he may not alleviate the feeling, but he will call you, beckon you into trusting him because God wants intimacy with you. He wants you to know him. And so he's saying to Abraham, hey, I know this is a hard situation. I know you're going through a lot of things right now. Fear not. It's okay. All right, and so then what does Abraham do? Verse two. But, but, okay, counter that. <laughs> Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house, Elizar of Damascus, or and the heir of my house is Elizar of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So Abraham does what we would all do. Or maybe he even does better than what a lot of us would do. As we try to take matters into our own hands, Abraham just kind of lays out his request before God, right? He's laying out a pretty uh, legitimate concern here, I would say, as well, right? Like his concern is, is very on point because he's saying, hey, you keep telling me I'm going to have a kid, but like, like what's going on here? You know, it, it, is it, is it Eliza? Is that who it is? Because that would kind of make more sense, but you're telling me to trust in you and, and what's happening here? You know, I mean, imagine yourself in Abram's situation, an impossible situation. You know, God's like, Bill, go jump off this cliff. And you're like, okay, like, how? <laughs> All right. He's like, don't fear, just trust me. You're like, am I going to fly or float? Or like, I like a little bit of detail as to what's going on because this is an impossible thing, right? Like God is calling Abram into something that seems impossible. And so it's understandable that he has some fear and that he has some confusion and kind of frustration in him. What is God calling Abraham to do? He's calling Abraham to trust him. Why? Because to fully trust God is to be fully alive, as we've been saying throughout this whole series. When you fully give yourself over into the mercies of God, when you release control from your hands completely, when you trust him fully, this is when you become fully alive. Now, it's scary because we have to trust that God is a good God, that he's going to come through for us, that we can take him at his word. But this is what he keeps trying to call Abraham to. Now, notice that Abraham, about the legitimacy, the, the concern of his question, he lays it out before God. And then what does God do? You know, Abraham, how dare you? Angel of death, fire from heaven. Next patriarch, right? Is that what happens? No, we know the story, but that's how some of us think God acts. 
unfortunately. Some of us have this fear of coming before the Lord and laying out our requests, but this isn't how God responds. So this is how we should not really view God. In fact, Abraham lays out a concern and then God responds in this extremely poetic, very intimate, extremely beautiful way. Keep going, verse four. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In fact, God doesn't just confirm the promise. No, it's not Eliza. It's actually your own son. But now he even takes the promise and draws it that much deeper. In fact, that much more impossible to some extent. He says, Abraham, go outside. And Abraham's not in the middle of New York or Austin or something where there are a ton of lights. You can't see the stars, okay? There is no air pollution at this time. So he sees all the stars. In fact, if you look at where he is, he may literally see galaxies and and the beauty of creation at its finest. And he is looking up and he says, can you number the stars, Abram? You know, Abraham starts counting, loses track at 718 or something. No, no, I I can't count these. And he says, so shall your offspring be. God takes this promise, displays this beautiful, intimate, almost poetic expression, and then literally deepens the promise to some extent. God doesn't get frustrated with Abraham's concern. He actually responds to Abraham's concern in a very, very beautiful way. And then he says, your offspring shall be more numerous than the stars of the sky. Right? And we know the song, Father Abraham and many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right arm. Some of you are like, what the heck just happened? (laughs) All right, I didn't even grow up in church, okay? And I know that song somehow, right? Like we sing about this very promise is what it is. We're singing that, hey, actually, all of us who believe are children of Abraham, God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham that he would have sons, daughters, more numerous than the stars. In fact, think about the mission of churches. Think about the mission of the well even, right? Like like one of our missions, one of our desires is that we would send 100 international missionaries that are focused on church planting uh, overseas and that we would send 100 church plants out to plant 100 churches nationally. Why? Because churches tend to be, the new churches particularly, tend to be the most effective and the quickest way at expanding the glory of God. People come to Christ more regularly at newer churches. And so we want to send out as many churches as possible because we want the glory of the Lord to cover the land as the water covers the sea, right? But what's happening here? In us doing that, what are we doing but helping fulfill the promise of Abraham? In fact, in Hebrews 11, it would tell us that Abraham did not receive his promise fully, but he's now watching us as this great cloud of witnesses encouraging us on that every single person who comes into relationship with God actually becomes a child of Abraham, as we'll see in a minute, and Abraham is literally rejoicing at that. And so in some ways, the very mission of the church is actually fulfilling God's original covenant way back here with Abraham in Genesis 15. We are expanding. There's sons and daughters of Abraham that are more numerous than the stars and the sky. This is beautiful, right? Or even take our disciple piece. The first part of disciple we say is reaching the lost. And what we say is we would want every single covenant member to be able to baptize somebody and their time at the well. Why? Because if every single covenant member gets to baptize somebody, they're either bringing them to faith or they're helping them become a disciple to be obedient to what Christ has commanded them to do. And therefore, multiplication is happening 
And there are sons and daughters of Abraham that are being produced. The mission of every single local church should be actually a continuation of Genesis 15 to some extent. That God's promise is being fulfilled. That we're making massive dents. That the, the disciples, the children of Abraham are more numerous than the stars in the sky. And there's truth to that. God isn't just kind of using imagery. He's actually telling the truth. Whatever stars you can see, no, 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 you're going to have more kids than even that, he tells him. God is deepening this promise, okay? And so he's fulfilling the promise of Abraham, but uh, Abe kind of still has this, this frustration, this concern, that this, this fear at the beginning, so God deepens that promise, okay? By the way, Abe, Abraham, Abram, they're all the same guy, all right? Just depends on what we want to say. So then one of the most important pieces and one of the most important verses in all the Bible happens next. And it's Genesis 15, verse 6. Let's read that. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was in many ways the father or the patriarch of faith. Notice that Abraham did not work, and then God counted that to Abraham as righteousness. What happened is is that Abraham believed the promise of God, and upon belief in the promise of God, God bestowed Abraham with righteousness, with rightness, that he got put in right standing with God, and he got put here through his faith. In fact, you'll have to turn here, but uh, in Romans chapter 4, it'll be on the screen, in verse 11, Paul says this, he, Abraham, received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Now, we get to circumcision in two weeks here, but what Paul's point here is that Abraham is the father of faith. Abraham is the father of everybody who would believe, of those who are not justified with God by their works, but those who are justified with God by faith. We are made right with God by believing in God's promises, which by the way, there's only one person that's justified before God by his works, And that's Jesus the Christ because he's the only perfect one who worked in perfect completion. All the rest of us kind of fall short of that. And so all the rest of us need another way to be made right with God. And Abraham showed us the way. It was by faith. Abraham becomes the father of faith. And this verse is so important because it counteracts what we would naturally think about God. And it tells us that by believing in him, we can be made right with him. Now, we don't actually believe that even if we confess that as our doctrinal creed because some of you probably didn't spend time in the word this week and then you felt convicted on Saturday and then you felt like I'm not right with God. But it tells us that faith makes us right with God. Now, faith produces action, and we can talk about that all day. We already did a James series. You can go back and listen to that if you want, right? Like, like faith does change us. It it alters who we are, but it's by faith that we we are made right with God. It's by faith that we grow in our relationship with God. In fact, what God is trying to do is expand each one of our faith as he did with Abram here trying to get us to believe in him more and more and more. Placing your faith in God is how you are made right with God. And this is how you become a child of Abraham. This is how we receive righteousness like he did. Now, notice something important. It doesn't say that Abraham believed in God and then God fulfilled all the promises to Abraham. 
Because for a lot of us, this is how we think God works, right? No amens for that? I mean, that's what I do, right? Like, God, I'm a believer. Like, how come you're not alleviating this fear? Or how come you're not fulfilling this promise or whatever it may be? Right? Like, like we think that when we come to Christ, that when we trust in him, that all of our problems will go away. And that's not true. In fact, we learned a couple of weeks ago that sometimes God puts problems onto us on purpose to stretch our faith, to try to get us to trust in him and believe in him. And so uh, God does not promise the Christian lack of problem or lack of concern or just a carefree life. In fact, sometimes he brings suffering into our life so that we may fully trust in him. He's trying to kill the old us and bring to life a a new us, a fully alive us, one who has no control but rather has submitted control to Christ because this is when we are fully free. This is when we lose all of our anxiousness. This is when we lose all of our depression. This is when we lose all of our fear. This is when we lose everything, but it's only when we lose our lives fully in Christ when we trust fully in him. And so God keeps trying to draw that out of us. So when Abraham believed, like, like he didn't then immediately have a son. In fact, we won't see the son come for many, many chapters now, but he was made right with God. And so even though God didn't fulfill the promise that he had to Abraham when he believed, he actually gave Abraham himself, which is everything Abraham could have wanted, even if he didn't realize it. Like even if Abraham didn't realize that intimacy with Christ is actually the utmost joy, that not having a kid, not having heirs, not being the blessing, not being the, the patriarch of faith, those are all great things. But knowing God, like, like this is where life is, that's what he gave Abraham. You are made right with me. And Abraham now has this intimacy with God that we will literally see deepen even in this chapter. In fact, even when Abraham kind of fumbles and bumbles around, which we'll see later on in this series, there's a difference now. There's this deep connection with God that travels deep into who Abraham is. He's becoming alive because he's trusting in God and who he is. Now, a little bit more in verse six in a second, but let's keep moving. Verse seven. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? A quick side note, okay? I love that even though it says Abraham believed, Abraham still has doubt, right? Like, can I get an amen in that, okay? Like, I think also what happens that this story kind of counteracts is that we think once we come to Christ, we have no more fears, no more doubts, no more concerns. We trust him. We never think, man, does God even exist? But let me tell you, I sometimes, as a pastor who loves Jesus, who preaches the word, think, does God even exist? Like, like, like what if I'm giving my life to this and God isn't even real, right? And so Abraham believes, but then two verses later, he begins to doubt God again. Abraham is a great man that you should feel a lot of company with because he's a man just like you. That even in the midst of belief, there's doubt, Even when he gets called the father of faith, Romans and and Galatians and Hebrews 11 all credit him with being the father, the patriarch of faith. Even at that moment, two verses later, he doubts. The disciples, they're doubting. There's all this doubt in scripture. We are humans and God knows that. 
And so Abraham has, has doubt in God to some extent. So if you're wrestling with Christ and who he is as a lost person or as a believer, literally, you're in great company, friends. Because the father of our faith doubted two seconds after God caused one of the most beautiful promises that Abraham believed. He was made right. Then he doubts, right? So God gives him the promise. And then Abraham essentially in his doubt says, yeah, but God, how can I know? How can I know this to be true? You know, when we bought a house, we uh, put 5% down on our house because, you know, houses cost $7.3 billion in Austin, right? So we couldn't afford 20%. We put 5% down, okay? And what happened is, is that the bank then gives us something called PMI or private mortgage insurance or the devil, all right? Homeowners, amen, right? So they give us this, and what it is is it's a sort of assurance that says, hey, because we've just loaned you hundreds of thousands of dollars, this is our way of making sure that you're going to hold good to your word, that you're going to actually pay us back, that you're not going to end up catching us in a hole in some ways. And so they make you pay this and 5,000 other fees to kind of make some money, but in a way it's an assurance, right? Or if you have enough money, you lose the PMI, because you put 20% down and they say, that's enough to at least show us that you're willing to try to pay this all back, right? It's an assurance. So this is what the banks do for us. And we write this contract. What God says to, or what Abraham says to God is, how can I be assured? How can I know that you're going to come through on this promise? I mean, this house that you're promising me doesn't cost a couple hundred thousand dollars. It costs like a couple of billion dollars. Like this seems impossible. How can I be assured? Which, by the way, side note, but for believers today, we still have assurance. It's called the Holy Spirit. Literally, what Ephesians 1 says is that the Holy Spirit is a down payment that we can now be assured that God will fulfill his promise. The Holy Spirit is a, is a sort of assurance that when he comes and dwells inside of us, we can have a, a surety. We can believe fully that God will indeed fulfill his promise because he resurrected, which we'll save that for Easter next week. But spoiler alert, God wins. Okay? He beats sin, he beats death, he beats Satan, and then he gives us the spirit as an assurance of this promise. So Abraham is kind of asking for this. God, how can I know? This is his request. And here's what God says, verse 9. He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid them half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Okay? Now, this may seem weird, but back in the day, instead of signing contracts like we did, they made covenants, which, honestly, we should do with one another in relationships. What it says is, I will not back out. Even if things get tough, even if things get hard, I'm going to stick with it. And there are different types of covenants and different types of lengths to that covenant. For example, the covenant of marriage, we say, until death do us part. Until we are parted by death, we're going to stay together through thick and thin, through highs and lows, through richness or poverty. This is what we are doing. We are making a covenant saying we are going to stay committed. And we should honestly do this in relationships in general. So covenants vary to their intensity. Hence why we don't call it membership. We call it covenant community that we're here for each other literally even if stuff hits the fan. right? Like, like we're here for each other still. That's what a covenant is. This is an extremely intense covenant because what happens is, is that the animals get severed in half 
And in a little bit, we're going to see a walking down the aisle of sorts. And what it is saying is, if I don't fulfill the covenant, then may I be severed. May I be cut in half. May I be separated just like these animals are. May I be cut to pieces just like these animals is what this covenant is saying. Get your weak little wimpy contracts out of here, right? Like this is where it's at. We're going to make all of our new covenant members do this, by the way. We'll just line up. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. They're like, this is a cult for real, <laughs> right? But in Jeremiah chapter 34, just so you see another instance of this in Scripture, it's all, it'll be on the screen. It says this, And the men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. So just a confirmation of what we just said. You will be severed, cut up, cut in half if you don't fulfill this covenant. Now, here comes one of my favorite parts in Scripture, verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So Abraham falls into this deep, deep, deep darkness. It's actually the same term that's used of Adam when it says that God put Adam into a deep sleep and then pulled out the rib and made Eve. So it's the exact same language that's used here. So God is about to initiate this deep, this new, this beautiful union, this beautiful covenant is what God is doing. Deep darkness highlights this new covenant kind of coming into picture like there was with Adam and Eve. So Abraham falls into a sort of, of sleep to some extent. God prophesies the exodus. And then let's finish our text, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites, the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. What's happening here? Seems like a weird movie or something, right? Like you got to interpret what's going on. Well, in verse 17, the smoke and flame are the same language that's used of God when he ascends down onto, or descends down onto Mount Sinai. And it says Mount Sinai was lit up with smoke and flame, the presence of God. It's also the same word that's used when they're traveling through the wilderness, if you know the Exodus story. And it says that he led them by a cloud or smoke by day, and he led them by a flame or fire at night. It's the same language. And so what this represents is the presence of God, that God's presence is now here amongst them. Okay, so God puts Abraham into a sort of conscious coma and then makes him watch and does not allow him to act in this covenant ceremony that's going on. And then God walks in between the animals himself. Man, and I'm literally about to tear up because I know that I'm not going to do justice to this text. If you have ever doubted the love of God for you, this should be enough right here to have you not doubt anymore, that God loves you, that God desires intimacy with you, 
because of this expression of what's happening here, God essentially says to Abraham, I promise to bless you, Abraham. I promise to bless you. And if I don't, may I be cut off. May I be destroyed. May I be annihilated. May I be severed from myself. May I be cut to pieces the way that these animals are if I don't fulfill what I promised to do to you. This is how you know. You asked in verse 8, God, how can I know? How can I know that you will fulfill? And God says, this is how you know. This is how you will know. See, here's the thing. God knows that man will break our end of the bargain with God. God will promise to be our God and he will call us to be his people, but we're gonna vacillate back and forth between being the people of God and then kind of doing our own thing and holding things into our hands. And then we'll trust God again when there's trouble and then we'll go to false gods or, or idols and then we'll trust God again and we'll go back and forth, back and forth. In fact, Abraham in this very next section is going to fumble the ball again. In chapter 16, we see Abraham become a man again and totally mess things up. And so if God allows Abraham to walk down that aisle with him, then this promise will be severed and void for God would cut off Abraham. God would sever him in half and in doing so void the covenant because Abraham and you and I cannot keep our end of the bargain with God. And so instead of allowing Abram to walk between them, he puts him into a sort of conscious coma, doesn't allow him to act, but makes him watch. And then God walks down the aisle by himself. It's essentially saying, may I be cut off if I don't do my part, Abraham, but may I be cut off if you don't do your part. I will be cut off if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, but if you don't fulfill your end of the bargain, I will still be cut off. I am making the promise for myself and for you. This is how you can know that I am going to bless you. I am going to do this. I will take the fall if I don't do my part and if you don't do your part. And don't you see, friends? This is the gospel. Because years later, another dreadful darkness fell over the earth. Another moment of darkness and dread fell upon humanity as God began to initiate this new covenant, the covenant that would come at the cross of Christ, and the impossible became possible. God was severed from himself. God got cut in half, just like these animals were. The father from the son, the son said, why have you forsaken me at this moment? Those who have dwelt in unity forever were separated, just like the animals were. Because God had to make Abraham right with himself, the only way to do it was to be severed from himself. And this comes at the cross of Christ, that God comes and fulfills this promise, the impossible, what we could not fathom, what you would never ask for became true. Because if you were to ask God for salvation, you would not say, God, go separate from yourself, kill yourself right? Be severed, be cut in half. But this is exactly what happened. The only way God is so serious about drawing us into relationship with himself that he does this, that he takes the fall for you and for me. And he severs from himself. Jesus on the cross is cut to pieces, just like the animals were, because God is faithful to his promises. Friends, what assurance do you want but this? right? Like this is assurance. God loves you. He will fulfill the promise. He will draw you into intimacy. He will do what it takes that you may know who he is. This is a beautiful thing. 
that God loves us so much that he's willing to be separated from himself so that you and I who cannot fulfill the promise may find fulfillment in Christ. That we may be brought to be sons and daughters of Abraham, people of faith, reunited with God, that we may believe and find rightness with God just like Abraham did because of what happened at the cross. This story is probably one of the most beautiful stories in the whole entire Bible of God's perspective of what's happening in this plan of salvation. That God foresaw, even in Genesis 15, what would happen in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that God would die for us. And this is why Easter is so important. Because we get the resurrection that God did defeat death. He defeated Satan. He defeated our flesh. That God came through and fulfilled this promise. And Abraham's story is a story of what faith looks like this back and forth all over the place, but trying to trust God, trying to trust God. And so you who haven't put your faith in God yet, you who are seeking and trying to figure out, man, like that's awesome, but you could be made a child of Abraham through believing in the promise. And this is what it looks like to trust God, not to have it all together. Look, Abraham in chapter 13 and 12 jacked up. In chapter 16, he's going to jack up. In this very section, three verses before, it says that Abraham was made right with God. And two verses after, he doesn't believe. He's wrestling. It's okay, right? Believer, listen. It's okay. Like, like you have doubts, concerns, worries, frustrations, anxieties, and all these things going on. God knows that we are not able to fulfill our end of the bargain, so he does it for us. All you got to do is trust, to have faith. And the more you do, the more alive that you will become. Giving ourselves over to him is becoming alive to him, submitting to him, trusting him. This is where you find life, friends. Let me be real honest. Literally over the past two months, It's been super difficult for me personally just to trust God. I've been wrestling with like, God, are you sure you're in control? Right? Like, like, are you sure you know what you're doing? Are you sure? And so I'm Abraham, right? How can I know God? He doesn't alleviate the pain. He says, trust me. Right? Like, like look back at what I've done for you in the past. Am I not a faithful and good God? And this text screams, yes, God is faithful. He will do what it takes to fulfill the promise. God loves us. I won't read this passage, but you can check it out if you want. Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25, it calls Abraham the father of all of us who believe. Abraham is the father of all those who believe. Why? Because Abraham believed that God could bring a child from the dead. Sarah's womb was as good as dead, the scriptures say. She was unable to bear children. She could not have kids by any means. And so God would do what it takes to fulfill that promise. And you and I are believed in the same way. By believing that a child, a son, would resurrect, would come alive from the dead. Abraham was made right with God by believing that a child could be brought to life from a dead womb. And you and I are made right with God by believing that the child will be brought to life from a dead tomb. It's the same thing. This is why he's the father of all those who believe. We see the gospel littered in this passage over and over and over again, right? But it's screaming the same thing to us. It's by belief. So how do we apply this, okay? How do we take this passage? How do we apply it to our life? It's super, super simple, all right? How's your faith, okay? How's your faith? How's your trust? 
How's your belief in God? Are you willing, ready to have your hands like this before him, seeing that he will do everything it takes to bring you into himself? If he would go through that, will he not also give you all things? Romans 8 tells us. Not all things that you want, all right? <laughs> right? He's going to kill you. That's a good thing, okay? Then he's going to make you alive to himself and give you what your heart actually desires. True freedom, true hope, true joy. Are you ready to give your life to God in that way? And if you're wrestling, if you're seeking, like this is it. Like, like this is the gospel. Are you ready to give your life to Christ? Maybe still having doubts and worries and concerns. Look, Abraham did. It's okay. But are you willing to trust him as Savior? And Christians, family, it's the same thing for us. When life gets rough, when there are things going on, are you willing, are you ready to trust God? Friends, trust, trust, trust God. Look at what he does for you. This is a God that is worthy of our trust. And as we surrender to him our ways and our rights and our wants and our desires and our life and all of who we are, God makes us more and more alive, more and more human, more and more free. It doesn't promise that pain goes away. It promises that you become real. You become alive. You become who you were created to be. And so how's your faith? Look at what God is willing to do. Look at the assurance that God is willing to give. Friends, you can trust Christ. I love you guys. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truth that's in this story. God, I, I know, I confess, this, I am Abraham, God. I believe, but I don't believe. I believe, but I don't believe. I, I vacillate back and forth and I find myself struggling and wrestling and wanting to take control of things. God, help me to give my life over to you. God, I thank you for those of these people in this room that have called themselves believers, that have given their life over to you. God, what a joy. Children of Abraham are here right now. God, you are fulfilling the promise to Abraham. Abraham is rooting us on, look at this. This is beautiful, God. You carrying out, you promising to finish what you started with Abraham. We are fulfilling it even today. And so, God, we thank you for that. And pray that we would trust more and more and more and that we would help and lead others to trust more and more and more and that your name would be glorified. God, use us to bring your glory upon the earth that men and women may become alive in you. And God, I pray for those that are wrestling in their faith with who you are, even right now, Holy Spirit, be their assurance. Enter in, change, provoke, draw into intimacy with yourself, Jesus. And you are good. We love you, God. We pray these things in your beautiful name. Amen.